I was raised to believe that the Bible defines good and evil for us within its pages. But when we stop and examine this idea using the Bible, we discover something else. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. A tree that would bring life to all who ate of its fruit, and a tree that brought death. And it was the second tree, the tree that resulted in death, that contained the knowledge of good and evil. Have we been deceived by the serpent who is trying to get us to eat of the second tree? Is the Bible really trying to define good and evil for us? Let's take a step back. Let's run an experiment. Instead of seeking to define good and evil, let's instead ask the question of the trees. Let's attempt to define life and death, but to do so, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we look to the original language of the text in order to get a more accurate understanding of the nuance contained in the text. Well, the book of Leviticus is a handbook of worship that was given to the ancient people of Israel. Within the pages of this book, we read of the methods and the rituals of worship for the people of Israel, for, for us, when we approach the God of Israel. The handbook starts with sacrifice, the giving of something of value to God. Now, for the most part, this practice involved animals, but as we discovered, sacrifice is not limited to animals. Sacrifice included grains and spices, such as frankincense as well but we can't sacrifice today. It's not possible. Deuteronomy 12, 13-14 says, Guard yourselves that you do not offer your ascending offerings in every place that you see, except in the place which Hashem chooses in one of your tribes. There you are to offer your ascending offerings, and there you are to do all that I command you. The place where Hashem chose was the temple in Jerusalem, but this temple was destroyed around 70 CE. And so as we contemplate this topic of sacrifice, we discover that the text reveals just a bit more than simply the actions that were to be taken in regards to sacrifice. We all dis also discovered that the text reveals the attitudes that we should adopt when we worshiped Hashem. But the fact remains, we, we still cannot and should not worship Hashem in this way, by sacrificing animals to Him today. And things don't get much better as we move further into the book of Leviticus. The next topic under discussion in the book of Leviticus is the topic of uncleanness. Once again, we encounter a topic that's limited in scope, but that was absolutely necessary for ancient Israel to know and to understand, but which really doesn't bear a lot of weight today. The main reason for this is that uncleanness only matters in a context which the presence of God dwells physically on the earth just as with sacrifice. But in this age, the presence of God is not a physical manifestation, but rather a spiritual manifestation that lives with and within us. There's no tent, no cloud and fire, no temple or holy items that need to be continually cleansed from human uncleanness. Just as with sacrifice, our context is one where uncleanness is not something that should over-occupy our mind. Instead, uncleanness teaches us about our human nature and the nature of death that we live under. So while the practices of uncleanness don't really matter because of our context, the topic of uncleanness does still matter, because it teaches us about the nature of death that we need to be saved from, the nature that separates us from God, and the sin that still exists in our flesh. And then Leviticus moves on. For one chapter, all of the topics are brought together in a single day. 
a day when man is allowed to physically approach the throne of God, a day when all of the uncleanness is washed away, a day when the sins of the people are sent away and dealt with in the wilderness. After the Day of Atonement, the text of Leviticus shifts to the next topic in line, the topic in holiness. And as we saw, this topic began with how to avoid defilement. And for the first time in the book of Leviticus, we discover things that we can do today. But when it comes to avoiding defilement, the things that are listed are things that we're, they're not a huge issue for much of the Western world. We don't tend to eat or drink blood. The majority of sexual defilement issues are things that have been trained out of our thinking as acceptable. We don't bow to idols or offer sacrifices to demons or to anyone for that matter. We don't give our children to Molech. Now, I'm speaking societally as a common custom. Much of this has occurred, I believe, because of the advent of Christianity in the world. The Jerusalem Council identified four areas that new Christians should avoid. And when the West became a primarily Christian culture, despite how wrong they got many things, the Christianity of past centuries did change the world for the better from the way that it used to be. These common defilements that were acceptable in the ancient Near East over the past several millennia have become, for the most part, societally unacceptable. And so while the chapters that we read last week regarding defilement are in fact things that we should avoid, most of us truly aren't even tempted to partake in the majority of these defilements. But this week we encounter, in a rare instance for the book of Leviticus, a list of things that we can do and areas of life where we can engage. And as we examine the text in these chapters, we're going to find that everything listed in this chapter is connected to acting in holiness. And everything listed in this chapter is simply an extrapolation of things that have come before. So let's read the text for this week, and then let's discuss the topic of holiness. Leviticus 19 and 20 and Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, Be set apart, for I, Hashem, your Elohim, am set apart. Each one of you should fear his mother and his father, and guard my Sabbaths. I am Hashem, your Elohim. Do not turn to idols, and do not make for yourselves molded mighty ones. I am Hashem, your Elohim. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of peace offerings to Hashem, sacrifice it for your acceptance. It is eaten the same day you sacrifice it, and on the next day, and that which is left on the third day is burned with fire. So if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is abominable and it is not accepted. And he who eats it bears his crookedness, because he has profaned the set-apart offerings of Hashem, and that being shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not completely reap the corners of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest, and do not glean your vineyard, or gather every grape of your vineyard. Leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am Hashem, your Elohim. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, and do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your Elohim. I am Hashem. Do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of him who is hired is not to remain with you all night until morning. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but fear your Elohim. I am Hashem. Do no unrighteousness in judgment. Do not be partial to the poor or favor the face of the great, but rightly rule with your neighbor in righteousness. Do not go slandering among your people. Do not stand against the blood of your neighbor. 
I am Hashem. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Reprove your neighbor for certain and bear no sin because of him. Do not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the children of your people, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Hashem. Guard my laws and do not let your livestock mate with another kind. Do not sow your field with mixed seed and do not put a garment woven of two sorts of thread upon you. And when a man has intercourse with a woman who is a female servant engaged to a man and to be ransomed, but she has not been ransomed nor set free, there should be an inquiry, but they are not put to death because she was not free. And he shall bring his guilt offering to Hashem to the door of the tent of appointment, a ram as a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before Hashem for his sin which he has done, and the sin which he has sinned shall be forgiven him. And when you come into the land, and you have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall reckon their fruit as uncircumcised. For three years it is uncircumcised to you, it is not eaten. And in the fourth year all its fruit is set apart, praises to Hashem. And in the fifth year you eat its fruit, so that it increases its yield to you. I am Hashem, your Elohim. Do not eat meat with blood, do not practice divination or magic, do not round the corner of your head, nor destroy the corner of your beard. Do not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor put tattoo marks on you. I am Hashem. Do not profane your daughter by making her a whore, so that the land does not whore, and the land becomes defiled with wickedness. Guard my Sabbaths, and reverence my holy place. I am Hashem. Do not turn to mediums, and do not seek after spiritists to be defiled by them. I am Hashem, your Elohim. Rise up before the gray-headed, and you shall favor the face of an old man, and shall fear your Elohim. I am Hashem. And when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, do not oppress him. Let the stranger who dwells among you be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Mitzrayim. I am Hashem, your Elohim. Do no unrighteousness in right ruling, in measurement of length, in weight, or in measuring liquids, have right scales, right weights, a right ephah, and a right hin. I am Hashem, your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, and you shall guard all my laws and all my right rulings and do them. I am Hashem. And Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Say to the children of Israel, Any man of the children of Israel, or of the stranger who sojourns in Israel, who gives any of his offspring to Molech, shall certainly be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. And I... I set my face against that man, and shall cut him off from the midst of his people, because he has given his offspring to Molech, so as to defile my set-apart place, and to profane my set-apart name. And if the people of the land at all hide their eyes from the man, as he gives any of his offspring to Molech, and they do not kill him, then I shall set my face against that man and against his clan, and shall cut him off, and all who go whoring after him, even go whoring after Molech from the midst of their people. And the being who turns to mediums and to spiritists to go whoring after them, I shall set my face against that being and cut him off from the midst of his people. And you shall set yourselves apart, and shall be set apart. For I am Hashem, your Elohim. And you shall guard my laws and do them. I am Hashem, who sets you apart. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall certainly be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is on him. And a man who commits adultery with the wife of another man, who commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, the adulterer and the adulteress shall certainly be put to death. 
And a man who lies with the wife of his father has uncovered the nakedness of his father. Both of them shall certainly be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And a man who lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall certainly be put to death. They have made confusion. Their blood is upon them. And a man who lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have done an abomination. They shall certainly be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And the man who marries a woman and her mother, it is wickedness. They are burned with fire, both he and they, that there be no wickedness in your midst. And a man who has intercourse with a beast, he shall certainly be put to death, and the beast you kill. And a woman who approaches any beast and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the beast. They shall certainly be put to death, their blood is upon them. And the man who takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, is it loving commitment? And they shall be cut off before the eyes of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He bears his crookedness. And a man who lies with a woman during her sickness and uncovers her nakedness, he has laid bare her flow. And she has uncovered the flow of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from the midst of their people. And do not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, nor of your father's sister. For that is laying bare one's own flesh, and they bear their crookedness. And a man who lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness, and they bear their sin, they die childless. And a man who takes his brother's wife, it is uncleanness, he has uncovered his brother's nakedness, they are childless. And you shall guard all my laws and all my judgments, and do them, so that the land where I am bringing you to dwell does not vomit you out. And do not walk in the laws of the nations which I am driving out before you, for they do all these, and therefore I loathed them. But I say to you, you are going to possess their land, and I myself give it to you to possess it, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am Hashem, your Elohim, who has separated you from the peoples, and you shall make a distinction between clean beast and unclean, between unclean birds and clean, and do not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or whatever creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean, and you shall be set apart to me, for I, Hashem, am set apart, and have separated you from the peoples to be mine. And a man or a woman in whom there is a medium, or who are spiritists, shall certainly be put to death. They are to stone them with stones. Their blood is upon them. Chapter 19 of Leviticus has long been recognized as one of the most important chapters in the book of Leviticus. Now, in reality, that puts this chapter rather low on the list of important chapters in Scripture for most people, because Leviticus is frankly not high on their list of important books. But when Yeshua was asked what is the greatest command, he answered with Deuteronomy 6, 4-5, Mark 12, 28-30. One of his scribes coming near, hearing them reasoning together, knowing that he answered them well, asked him, Which is the first command of all? And Yeshua answered and said, The first of all the commands is, Hear, O Israel, Hashem our Elohim, Hashem is one, and you shall love Hashem your Elohim with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first command. But then, just after this, unbidden, Yeshua follows up with another command. Verse 31, and the second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. The two greatest commands. Love God with everything that's part of you and what has become known as the golden rule. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this verse is found 
only in this chapter of Leviticus in the Hebrew Scriptures. This was not something that Yeshua invented or made up. He quoted it from Leviticus. Now, on top of this, the second most well-known verse of Leviticus is also found in this chapter. And as we opened up chapter 19, we find that this chapter opens with this verse. Leviticus 19, verse 2. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, Be holy, for I, Hashem, your Elohim, am holy. Now, this verse has been interpreted for ages as a command of action. The verse is followed up within actions that one can take, as we discussed earlier. The underlying understanding of this take being that through the way we act, we can become holy, as if humans could achieve holiness. But that's not what this verse means. It does not mean act in a holy way because Hashem is a holy God and you will become holy if you act this way. Rather, this verse is one in which people of Israel are reminded that they have been granted holiness, not because of anything within themselves, but rather and only because they are in covenant with a holy God. Their proximity to God is what grants the people of Israel holiness. Nothing else grants that status, and one must be granted a status of holiness before they can draw near to God. Now, this might seem like I'm being a bit nitpicky, but this is important, so bear with me. If we track this statement through the Bible, I think we'll find that this nuanced view of this passage holds, but we'll also see why the other view has gained so much traction. In fact, the very next chapter, we see a very similar statement being made in Leviticus 20, verse 7. And you shall sanctify yourselves, you shall set yourselves apart, and shall be holy, for I, Hashem, your Elohim. See, this verse states that we are to sanctify ourselves. There's something to do to achieve sanctification. But then let's read the very next verse, verse 8. And you shall guard my laws and do them. I am Hashem who sets you apart. That last bit is the important bit. I am Hashem who sanctifies you. Our holiness comes only because Hashem is holy, and he passes that holiness on to us. Now, another passage with this type of terminology is found in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. It says, Therefore, having girded up the loins of your mind, being sober, set your expectation perfectly upon the favor that is to be brought to you as the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts in your ignorance. Instead, as the one who called you is holy, so you also should become holy in all behavior. Because it has been written, Be holy, for I am holy. Again, we read that we should become holy in our behavior, because the verse says, Be holy, for he is holy. But why is it that we should become holy in our behavior? It's because the one who has called us is holy. He is holy. He has granted us holiness. And so we should strive to act in holiness. Not to gain holiness, but rather because we are holy. This brings us back to Leviticus chapter 19. Chapters 19 and 20 are the only chapters of the Bible that describe what holiness looks like in action for the layman. 
When we read Leviticus 19, we encounter what appears to be a grag bags of do's and don'ts that don't seem to have any kind of common theme behind them. Some are things that we've read before and others are completely baffling. Baffling in purpose or baffling in meaning. But there are some of these that we just don't know. So let's go through these depictions of holiness and actions and see what we can discern from them when we put them all together. So in verses 3 through 4, we read a recounting of several of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, fifth command. Guard my Sabbaths, fourth command. Do not turn to idols, first command. Do not make molded images to bow to, second command. Right out of the gate, we read four of the first five of the Ten Commandments. This should catch our attention and let us know that something significant is occurring here. Now, it might be nothing but... Four commands, one after the other, in the course of just two verses. Coincidence? Possibly. Let's keep looking. Now, what the text does next is confusing, and it often throws us off track of the Ten Commandments, because the text shifts for just a moment to the eating of the Shlamim sacrifice. Why would it go here at this point? Well, the last verse was about worshiping other gods and bowing to idols, and so the unique way that the sacrifices are offered to Hashem is then covered. And the Shlemim sacrifice is the only sacrifice that's eaten by the layman, and so it's the only sacrifice that's touched on in this chapter. We find in this passage that the sacrifice also becomes holy when offered, and so it is to be treated as holy. This means that it should not be allowed to sit out any longer than two days. Now, I find this command to be enlightening. Why? Well, it speaks of not allowing a sacrifice of Hashem to see corruption. Before it has a chance to go bad, eat it or burn it. And that has implications on the crucifixion and resurrection when you get down to it. It's a correlation that at least deserves a mention and perhaps some time in meditation. After the discussion on the peace offering, then comes a command for a form of communal welfare. When you harvest, do not harvest all the way to the edges. Leave some for the poor and the helpless. Once again, we often look at this transition, and we see it as haphazardly placed in the text. One verse we're reading about Sabbaths and honoring parents, the next we're reading about sacrifices, and then community welfare? See, obviously, this is just some sort of hodgepodge of disconnected commands. But if we consider this text, we find that it's addressing specific topics in an order that can be hard to appreciate. But I think it goes something like this. Be holy in your actions because I've granted you holiness. Now act like it because you bear my name and I'm your God. And so he begins with some of the Ten Commandments. First, there are the commands that don't really need further explanation. Obey your parents, keep the Sabbath, and then don't engage in idolatry. And while on the topic of idolatry, let's not forget, when you eat of the sacrifices that you've been given as food, don't treat them as common. It too is holy, so behave in a holy manner around the holy food. And while on the topic of food, make sure that everyone has something to eat. Don't be so greedy that you forget to care for those who are in need in your midst. And then the Ten Commands pick up again. And we find that this last topic of welfare, through harvesting crops, connects the topic of sacrifice together with the next set of Ten Commands. Do not steal. The issue of welfare is one that is an issue of stealing food from the mouths of the poor. 
we should do what we can to care for the poor in our midst. Not providing for the poor is the equivalent of stealing from them. And so Leviticus continues, and it does so with several more of the Ten Commandments. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive each other, do not swear falsely by the name of Hashem. These cover the commandments of the seventh command, do not seal, the eighth command, do not bear false witness, and the third command, do not take the name of Hashem in vain. And it is these three commands together that are then extrapolated in the next set of seemingly random commands found in verses 13 through 18. As we go through this next set of commands, we'll discover that they all have to do with our interactions with each other. And more importantly, they have to do with demonstrating God's character to each other and to the world. This list demonstrates how we should live out holiness in our interpersonal relationships. Things like, don't oppress your neighbor, pay your workers their wages in a timely manner, do not curse the deaf or trip the blind. I mean, a deaf man can't hear a curse and a blind man can't see a stumbling block. So don't be the one who ruins a vulnerable person by exploiting their vulnerability. Judge all injustice without partiality towards a person because of their station. That includes unfairly acting in favor of a poor person simply because they're poor, or letting a rich man off easy, or alternatively punishing a rich man simply because he's rich. Do not slander or gossip about others. Do not stand by and do nothing if your neighbor's been harmed or is in danger. Do not hate your brother, but do correct him when he's wrong. Do not take vengeance or bear a grudge. And this section then closes with that oh-so-important verse. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So when we look at this set of commands together in this way, we find that this listing is an extrapolation of three of the Ten Commandments. The list should form the core of our personal relationships, and it is by adhering to this list that we will all be able to demonstrate holiness to those around us. And if we consider this, we find that the character traits of Hashem are found in this list. Compassion, mercy, grace, loyalty to covenant, patience, forgiveness, and justice. The character traits that Hashem declared on Mount Sinai as his own, these are the traits that we are to live out in our relationships with each other. Next in the text, we see another seemingly scattered list of random commands. But if we isolate them and consider them alongside each other, we might find something that connects many of these upcoming commands. Now, verse 19 speaks of various forms of mixing that should not occur. Livestock are not supposed to be allowed to mate with other kinds. Do not sow a field with mixed seed. Don't wear a garment of mixed thread. If we consider each of these commands together, we find that they have to do with the mixing of kinds. And if we consider it, there's one of the Ten Commands that has to do with the mixing of kinds. Don't commit adultery. Let's look again at the definition of the word adulterate. Merriam-Webster defines adulterate in this way, to corrupt, debase, or to make impure by the addition of a foreign or inferior substance or element. And that's what we find connected together in this verse. Don't adulterate your animals by allowing them to mate across kinds. Not species, kinds. That means that horses and donkeys 
they're okay to mate to create a mule. Don't adulterate your harvest by mixing the plants that you grow in your field. And don't wear clothing of mixed threads. Now, on the surface, these commands would seem to be appropriate to all kinds of mixing, but that may not be the case. In the Hebrew, in the last part of verse 19, there's a word present that's not translated. That word is sha'atnez. Now, this is a word that means specifically a wool and linen mixture. And if we consider this further, we find that wool and linen mixtures were allowed. They were allowed in the priest's garments. And from this, we can perhaps understand that wool and linen is a specific holy mixture that is not to be replicated. This introduces a bit of confusion as we attempt to decipher these commands. Is this a general command that is forbidding all mixtures whatsoever in these areas? Or is this a specific command that is forbidding specific mixtures for the sake of worship? If this is a general command, then all blended fabrics of any sorts are off-limits, as is certain gardening techniques and mules aren't allowable either. On the flip side, if this is a specific command regarding wool and linen, then are the other commands also given in connection to worship? If wool and linen are a holy mixture that is not to be worn by a layman, then is the command for seed only really speaking about the plants that are used to make the oil and the incense and the frankincense for bringing sacrifices and the wheat and so on and so forth? And the mating of animals, is it only talking about the mating of sacrificial animals? Honestly, there's no consensus on where this falls. All we can do is attempt to understand and then to live out by the best of our ability. I personally fall on the side of these commands being in connection to the holy items that were used in the rituals of the tabernacle and the temple. But if you fall elsewhere, that's fantastic. As we move on, the next set of verses also deal with adultery, but they also deal with matters of justice. If a man sleeps with his engaged female slave, presumably his own slave, then this is not counted as adultery. Now, this seems difficult to us, as this would appear to be rape, but in reality, it's not. A woman who was sold into servitude became the property of the one who purchased her. One of the most common reasons for purchasing a woman in this way was for the purpose of marriage or mating through concubinage. It was the master's right to take her to himself as a wife, or alternatively to marry her off to another. In the ancient Near East, women had little to no say in who they married. Now, What seems to be described here is that a man bought a woman to serve in his household. He then at some point engaged her to someone else, but before the marriage could be completed, the man chose to take the woman as his own wife, rather than to pass her on to the other man who'd been contracted with. The simple fact is that as long as this woman is his property, then the choice of who she marries is still his, even if she's been engaged to another. Now, there should be an inquiry into the matter, and there is guilt associated with the act, But it's not the guilt of adultery, and it's not worthy of death. Is this distasteful? Yes. Is this adultery? No. In all other cases of betrothal, a union such as this would be adultery, but not in this case. Not when the woman is still the other man's property. Now, for our modern ears, this seems harsh, and yeah, it it is. But that's one of the things that we have to understand about acting in justice. 
Sometimes, justice requires that a distasteful thing be done in order for justice to be served. We cannot do the things that we want when it comes to justice or even follow our heart. We must weigh the matter fully. In this case, the woman was property. She had no say, and her owner has full control. But by sleeping with her, she is now his wife, or at best, or concubine at worst. And she now belongs exclusively to her master. If a wife, then as a wife, and as a concubine, then still as a servant, but one who is not to be given or traded away to anyone else. She's his for life. And the sin that's associated with it isn't the sin of adultery. It's the sin of breach of contract. And so after this, Leviticus continues, and the following set of verses is one that's caused a lot of confusion through the years. Why, oh why, in the middle of this chapter on holiness, are we told to allow the fruit trees to grow for four years without eating its fruit? For the first three years, the fruit is uncircumcised. Now, what does it mean that the fruit is uncircumcised? Well, according to some, this means that we leave the tree alone during the time of uncircumcision. Just let it grow, and the fruit will fall on its own accord for three years. And the usage of the word uncircumcised references the fact that the fruit of the tree is not fully developed or able to fulfill its purpose, and so it should not be eaten. Now, other commentators say that the way that this is phrased in the Hebrew indicates that the tree should be circumcised of its fruit for three years. This means going through and plucking the blossoms and picking the fruit and burying it or burning it for three years so that the tree can put all of its energy into growing. Then in the fourth year, you allow the fruit to grow and to fall to the ground on its own accord. Finally, in the fifth year, then you can harvest and partake. Once again, I have no idea which is correct, if either. I'm not even sure which of the Ten Commands this falls under, if any. Is it adultery and that the fruit becomes adulterated to stay immature if the tree is not treated in this way? <laughs> is it an adult tree? <laughs> uh, anyway, is it envy and that the person who eats of the fruit early is acting out of envy towards the fruit of the tree? Now, I suspect that adultery is the answer because the next set of verses also has to do with adultery as well. Verse 26, don't adulterate yourselves with blood. Don't adulterate your worship with divination or magic. Verse 27 and 28, we again read passages that no one can seem to agree on. Are these two verses all being said in the context of for the dead, or are they standalone commands? If standalone, then goatees and certain haircuts are off limits, alongside cutting and all tattoos. Now, these commands make a lot of sense, however, if they're all connected with for the dead. Tattoos, cutting, ripping out of beard or hair, they're very common ways of mourning among the nations. Acting in this way reminds me of the words of Yeshua in Luke 9-60. Let the dead bury their dead in this way. Don't become like the dead. As people of Hashem and as people of life, we need to recognize that death is not the end. And in verse 29, once again, is this adultery or is this envy? I mean, the adultery side is obvious. Selling your daughter as a prostitute will cause the daughter to no longer be suitable mate for any man. Her position will also lead some men to commit adultery on their spouses. Alternatively, this passage may be more of an envy thing. 
The father envies the money that he can make using or selling his daughter's body. And perhaps that's the point, because the next set of verses covers one of the two remaining commands of the Ten Commandments to be addressed in this chapter. Do not envy. Perhaps verse 29 acts as a way to connect these two together, and it in fact covers both. So these other commands rise before the gray-headed, show honor to those who have experience in life. When a gare lives among you, do not oppress them. Remember that a gare is a friendly foreigner, not a hostile. A gare is also one who seeks to worship the same God. In these two commands, we see almost a repeat of earlier commands. Honor the gray-headed, mirroring honor your parents, from verse 3. Show no partiality between a native-born and a stranger, mirroring show no partiality to the rich or the poor. And then the final set of commands for chapter 19, do not cheat a person in business deals. Don't envy their stuff so much that you would cheat to get their goods. So as we've gone through this all in chapter 19, we saw that this chapter on holiness is really just an extrapolation of the Ten Commandments, various practical ways that the Ten Commandments can be lived out in holiness. But there's one missing. One of the Ten Commandments is not present in chapter 19. So who of you is keeping track and remembers which of the ten was not present in chapter 19? Murder. Do not murder was not present in chapter 19, with the possible exception of do not take vengeance. But vengeance does not always mean killing another person. Added to this, the lack of covering murder in chapter 19, chapter 20 seems to be a near repeat of the chapter that we just read two chapters ago. Don't sacrifice your children to Molech? Check. Don't engage in sexual immorality? Check. Those were the two primary topics of chapter 18. Added to this, chapter 20 now includes spiritists, mediums, honoring of parents, and once again, keeping the Sabbath. Each of these being things that were included in the last chapter. In fact, everything that is recounted in this chapter, there are things that have already been said in the previous two chapters. So why do we even have a chapter 20? And what does the content of this chapter add to the topic of holiness? Well, when we find areas where the text is repetitive, what should we do with the text? We should pay very close attention to the text and compare to discover what's different. And in the differences, we'll find the purpose of the repeated text. So as we examine chapter 20, what is the primary difference? Everything listed in this chapter carries the death penalty. And with murder missing from chapter 19, we discover that this chapter is in fact a listing of offenses that have death as a penalty. And these deaths, they're not murder. In fact, not only is killing for these reasons not murder, it is holiness, it is justice, and it is purity. And we're told in a world that capital punishment will cause us to be as bad as those who commit the offense. We're told that sexual sin is not something that's worthy of punishment at all, let alone a death sentence. And with the secular worldview and in a secular context, the world is correct. But in the context of the people of God and the kingdom of God, there is an allowance for the death penalty for those who would act in corruption and perversion. Why? Because this perversion pollutes the land that we live on. And this goes double true for the Holy Land, the land that Hashem 
has chosen for himself. Defilement of any sort defiles the land. And where before in chapter 18 the word holy did not appear at all in this chapter, a variation of the word kadosh appears multiple times. Now, for many, we look at these chapters and commands and we have decided as a people that this describes what it means to be moral. These commands are not about morality. These chapters teach us nothing about how to be a good person. These chapters teach us about holiness, how to act when in relationship with Hashem, how not to bring shame upon him or to bring his name to nothing, how to protect the community, how to live in his image, how to properly bear his name because you bear his holiness. And having his holiness and acting in an improper way, what does this have the potential to do? Leviticus 20 verse 3, And I will set my face against that man, and I will cut him off from among his people, because he hath given of his seed to Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. The things that we do when we bear his name can cause his name to be defiled. And after the long exploration that we had on the name of Hashem in the book of Exodus, this is something that we must avoid. Because God's name is everything. Nearly everything that he does is for the sake of his name. And for us to act in a way that defiles the name of Hashem is the one thing that we can take from Hashem. And it's the one thing in the Ten Commandments that will not go unpunished by God. So as people of God, we have his name on us. We have his holiness bestowed on us. We have his spirit within us. And so it is incumbent on us to live up, to make the attempt to live up to a standard of holiness. Not to gain salvation. Not to gain holiness. Not to be a good person. Not to get a single thing. Only because we are his. Only because of the covenant that we have with him that binds us to him. That's all. When we make these chapters about being a good person, we miss the point. When we think that we can gain holiness through action, we pervert the point. We are holy. We have been granted this status by our God. And now it is incumbent on us to act in the manner of the status that we have been given. And acting in this way will lead us on the path of life as we darish chai, as we seek life. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Darish Chai. If this content has blessed you and you would like more, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting, and sharing with others. To find out more about what we do and to support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. We'll see you again next time as we Darish Chai, as we seek life. Shalom.